0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE One, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE One is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Welcome to episode 219 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, The Guardian, you know him. But deadline day is past, and Frances, I wasn't able to move you, so you are staying here this season.
2: Hola, Gules. Yeah, I'm staying. Um, it looks like everyone who has left has left with a free ticket. I'm sure we can discuss that very soon. It's, I'm laughing, but really I'm, I'm, I'm dying inside. I'm just crying. Um, but obviously I didn't want to share that so early in the podcast. Um, no, good. Um, the whole window is finished. We don't have to worry about nonsense anymore. And we can focus on football. But um, I think today we need to break down what happened, if anything actually did happen.
1: For sure, yeah. We are going to be hitting Sevilla, and then we are going to do a lot of transfer talk and basically breaking down the squad that will be, at least until January. And it's crazy to think that it's October and the is going to open again in January, where Barcelona might have to rethink some things. But financially, I'll say it now, I can't imagine much changing. But before we get to any of that, let's go over the last match before this international break that we're going to be hitting now for about two weeks plus. So we are going to be talking about Barcelona, the 1-1 draw with Sevilla. Now, Sevilla coming into that match, they hadn't beaten Barca de Camp Nou since 2002 when Ansu Fadi was just, I think, two or three months old. And so Barcelona, I think, even without a home crowd, should have been the favorites to at least get some kind of result. And they did, though they didn't get the three points. So the first question I ask to you, Frances, should Barcelona have gotten three points against Sevilla?
2: No. No, they didn't deserve them, did they? Uh, I think Sevilla are a very, very strong team. Um, they've been in the last decade, really, they've been quite competitive. In the last five years, they've been, you know, fighting for the top four pretty much consistently. And I think that the current squad, especially that little defensive triangle they've got at the back with Kunde, you know, starring there and being being a rock. um, I think that, you know, because they're so solid at the back, they can be contenders for the title, to be honest. I mean, Barca are not doing great. Neither are Madrid, neither are Atletico. And I think Sevilla have stepped it up. So I think that, Obviously, you know, we don't have a magic wand, but based on what we've seen so far, there is no reason to doubt that Sevilla will be in the top four of La Liga. And, you know, unless the other three or one of the Barcelona Madrids get their act together, which I doubt we will or they will, um, it is likely Sevilla will be fighting for La Liga until the end. Um, In terms of the match itself... I think that obviously Kuman once again, 4-2-3-1, he's not moving, he's not changing. And to be honest, I like the consistency that that brings, um, even though that forces someone like Ricky Pooch out. Uh, but, you know, we had a, a whole show about that two, two weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into that anymore. So the, the the consistency of having the same formation is going to help Kuman sort of make his experiments and trying to you know, give different players a chance in different positions.
1: Let, let me jump in because we're going to talk tactics and formations and plan B in a second. I just wanted to throw in that it's funny that the one player you mentioned was Kunde because the stat for you is that he had the most touches for a centre-back at the Camp Nou since 2005, 2006. So that does tell you that Barca did have a commanding spot and they were putting the Sevilla back line who do want to play out of the back in some compromising positions at times, but Koundé, as you said, with a level head, completely controlled the match in a good way for Sevilla. And I think you were right as well to say that I don't think of it as Barcelona dropping two points. I think Sevilla won two points, or if they will, they they won the point, rather, at the Camp Nou. So I I think there is credit to Sevilla, and as you mentioned as well, that Sevilla is now in year two of the Lepertegui thing, where Munchie last year, who's obviously one of the the best general managers in all of football, he winds up bringing in nine new players, I believe, eight of which were in the starting lineup last season and they've gotten used to each other, and now this is year two of this project, and you can see that Lepertegi while he's been dragged for the Spain and Real Madrid and all that, he is actually still a really good manager, and you could see that there with Sevilla having an idea, and Sevilla had also already played in the Europa League final, which they won, and they also had played the UEFA Super Cup against Bayern Munich very recently, so Sevilla is a team that has had, had a number of matches under their belt, they were they're already, if you will, in pretty good form as a team, and Barcelona, if you were can be reminded they played against a Villarreal side that have as good of a transfer market as they had they haven't really put it together just yet and Salta De Vigo is a team that they've had their issues as far as in the league of fighting relegation the last few seasons so and it was also a rainy disastrous night for Salta De Vigo up in Galicia, which is obviously known for its reign and so Sevilla was really the first test of the season for Ronald Koeman. For me, you know, we had said that Lampard had easily passed this this test, and for Koeman, you kind of got to give him a B or a C because still got a point against the Sevilla side that was in form. But Barca have their issues, and we're going to back to tactics now, Frances I'm, I'm almost going to let you finish your thought because both Stefan and Pancho asked, "Does Koeman have a plan B, and will Koeman be willing to change tactics?" And I think these questions are prompted from the fact that Lampard knew that Coleman is going to go with that 4-2-3-1. That's the formation he's gone with so far. He also started with the exception of a Raja win for the suspended Clement Langley. He's also gone with the same starting 11, all three matches of the season. I guess to say, when you look up and down that bench and transfers, I know everything in, the, in this show kind of works with synergy, but now that Dembele is kind of, going to be around no matter what I, I think he wasn't playing because of those reasons that he was potentially going to leave same thing with Pooj I think they expected him to leave and now he got the the number 12 shirt so it looks like he is just in the first team plans unlike Oral Busquets who's with Barca B Ricky Pooj is going to be up with the first team so I think as he looks down the bench things might be different now that he knows who his squad is but all that said Frances 4-2-3-1 that's what for me that's the formation Coleman wants to have and then he also wants to play the 11 or the the favorites that he has do you think that after seeing Sevilla having watched just two matches of Barca tape have Barca figured out? Do you think that's going to be a problem this season?
2: Well, yeah. I think that it's very obvious that it <laughs> we are good people and we do watch Barca all the time, but you know we're not the only two people in the world that watch them all the time. And It looks like you and I have already figured it out, so if we have done it, imagine what the managers <laughs> in all the other you know, scouting systems would have done. Yeah. So It is obvious that they are going to be worked out. It is obvious that at this moment in time, there's no plan B. I mean, the manager's only been in, in, in post for six, seven weeks now. So it is natural. He's just trying to do one thing and trying to do one thing right. Like, I do agree with what Kuman is doing in terms of formation, especially because it's a formation that we haven't tried before. And uh, we know from what we've seen that he's making Barca more solid at the back. I mean, that's the major criticism that we've given Valverde and Setién over the last three three years, really since Luis Enrique left. And uh, that's something that, you know, I think it's a step forward, but obviously it's still early, very, very, very early days. Um, I think in the last game, especially, Barca did look tired. I think that Kuman's insistence on playing the same 11 at the beginning. And again, I understand why he's doing this, but he's already generating some fatigue. Obviously there is a break coming up. So, you know, they could be getting refreshed and getting some rest because not everyone is um, called up to the Spanish national team, by the way. And I'm going to do an aside here. Like I, I do remember, uh, and it wasn't that far ago, I would say around a decade ago, six, seven years ago, When whenever there was a Spain international game, you would have eight, nine, ten players from the Barça team going. And uh, I was reading just before coming on the podcast, and it's Sergi Roberto, Sergio Busquets, and Ansu Fati. That's it. There's only three Barça players going to the Spanish national team, even though Luis Enrique is the manager, by the way. So aside, put aside, Kuman is playing the same people all the time. He's trying to, you know, give them confidence, get them to believe in themselves, get them to know, right, guys, you are the starters and I really do trust you. And uh, it is working fairly OK for most of it. Um, as you mentioned, I don't think getting a point against Sevilla is a bad result. I mean, for me, any, traditionally, any game that Barca play at the camp, no, that is not won. That's a terrible result. But saying what we're saying and seeing what we're seeing... The point is not too bad, um, especially at this point of the season. And, um, yeah, I mean, the rotation hasn't been as extreme as it could have been. But I do like the fact that he's actually using his substitutions, <laughs> which, you know, and, I know we're setting the bar really low here, but Setién couldn't even do that. So around the 65th minute, 70th minute mark, you've got Pedri and Trincao coming in pretty much every game. Serginho Des, I'm sure you were jumping up and down, and you're going to talk about it later. But Serginho actually debuted for, for the for, you know, first American to debut for Barca, also at the Camp nou, which is great. And yeah, so I do overall, I do like what Kuman is doing. Um, I do like the fact that it's different. I do like the fact that it's more solid, but obviously it's still early days. And as I said, probably a month ago now or even more, this is a transition year. Barca are going nowhere in terms of institutional direction, because clearly there's going to be either a Museo da censura which I think is 99% sure is going to go ahead, given the count that's happening, or worst case scenario, an election in March. And, you know, this board, all they're trying to do is cover up and, you know, save in their own pockets while trying to get a Liga started. So, institutionally, the club is going nowhere and is in a really terrible situation. Uh, this is a, a season in which has to be a transition. Barca have not started the Liga too badly at all. Uh, the youngsters are playing. Uh, the average age of the squad has gone down from around 30 years old to 25.3, I believe. So it has been reduced drastically. There are very young youngsters such as Pedri, Trincao, Ansu Fati, even Serginho, you can add there now, Serginho Dest, um, that you know are getting minutes. So I think there are sprouts, there are, there are good signs, there are good seeds being planted. But it's way too early to see whether they're going to work or not just yet.
1: Yeah, I think that's not to defend Coleman too much, but I think those are the two main points. That one, when you look against Sevilla, he did play. What was it? Two seventeen-year-olds, one nineteen-year-old, one twenty-year-old, and then the twenty-one-year-old. Uh, and Ronald Araujo was, I think, the man of the match for Barcelona on their side of the field. So you look at how young and how important those players are already being. And then part two of that is, as I said, you look at the timeline here. That Coleman had to now in three three matches get a team that was uh, largely changed in that in, in the rotation at least and the players that are playing together. So for Messi, we've even seen some of the body language made a question about this as well, about Messi and Ansu Fati where Fati looked to shoot and it seemed like Messi gave him a talking to. You. That's now the third time that's happened. And I had mentioned earlier that I saw Luis Suarez used to do that to him as well, like kind of get a a word in his ear and you know the one thing I'll quickly say about that whole Messi Fati thing is that Messi is the captain and Fati is 17 so there is lessons to be learned and we do not understand the tone we also don't understand the way that Fati being a 17-year-old superstar with Jorge Mendes as his his agent we don't understand the way he takes criticism and I actually do trust our captain in Messi to be delivering that um, especially when it is a Messi when you have these top, top guys when, uh, you know, you could talk a lot about LeBron James and in the, in the NBA and his leadership quality where he'll be on teams. And when it was the Lakers, then last season with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, where those guys were sitting ducks and they knew that they weren't going to be there for very long. And with LeBron, he would completely ignore them. And that seemed to be his leadership quality would say, hey, you're not part of my championship team later. So then they basically were waiting to get traded. And now you look at the way he interacts with the other guys around him. Uh, yeah, it can look like he's frustrated or doesn't want to be a part of it. But he does get on these other players, these other role players now, because they are pivotal for him to win. And for me, I think for Messi, I would be more concerned if he wasn't taking an active hand in making sure that Fati understood the situation of what had just happened, where he shot when he should have passed. And that seems to be the issue more than the pass instead of shoot. And you know what? I'm glad that Fati can work from shot to pass instead of having to teach pass to shot. Because as we've seen with a lot of players that showed up at Barca who just try to give the ball to Messi, teaching them to shoot seems to be the harder thing to do when you have a guy like Messi to rely on. So the fact that Messi has to say, hey, Fati, I'm Lionel Messi, maybe you should pass the ball to me, I think that's actually a really good sign and I'm totally willing to deal with that. So I'm gonna give you my part two of what I'm seeing from the whole chemistry issue and you got a response to me about the Fati-Messi thing after this break. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. And last time I did this ad, I mentioned to everybody that I did spill some Chipotle on myself, when I ordered it a few weeks ago when I was at work. And now, this time around, recently, my wife and I ordered it together to the house at home. DoorDash still got it to us at the same amount of time in the same wonderful food is all ready, prepared, nothing spilling out of the bag. And my wife made sure, hey, we we're gonna make sure we use a plate and we're gonna do this the right way. So I have to say, nothing about DoorDash, just that for an update for me, that I was much better and my pants thank not only DoorDash for keeping everything nice and tidy in the bag and get it delivered on time and hot and ready. To eat, but also that I have done my due diligence and a little bit safer when I get my food from DoorDash. So many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too, though. It's not just those chains. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over, football is back. That's American football for all you at home. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Frances, I may just sit there and stew. So you have an opposite opinion of this foddy, messy thing?
2: No, not necessarily an opposite opinion, but I just want to sort of rewind as to where we're coming from. Because, you know, it's it's very easy. I'm not saying you're doing it, but I know some people have done it. It's very easy to criticize everybody because, you know, we're watching a game. We all have an opinion. We all have, I'm sure, really loud voices behind the screen. <laughs> so we're all obviously free to express our opinions in whatever way. But ultimately, we need to know where we're coming from. We're coming from a, a season arguably a group of three seasons in which we were led by Valverde and Setien in which the players had an incredible amount of power and ultimately all the power they had in the dressing room and all the voices and all that sort of heavyweight charisma that they had acquired because they had won so many titles beforehand ultimately resulted on every ball going to Messi or going through Messi. So we were incredibly easily defended. We were especially against sort of high-level opposition and especially at the end of the season where our players, because they were older, they were getting tired. Um, And ultimately, everyone knew what we were going to do. We're going to move the ball around, we're going to do whatever we needed to do, and then the shot would come to Messi. Now, having people, like you mentioned, having people like Fatih, Having people like Ricky Bush when he was playing, having people like Dembele could potentially do if he's given a chance, which hopefully he will moving forward. Now, it is this is a blessing in these guys. You know, this is the main reason why I was very probably harsh, but you know, I have to speak my mind because this is the podcast and this is why people listen. Um, Luis Suarez not being part of the dressing room, he will be scoring goals for Atletico, and I'm very happy for him. But ultimately having Suarez in the team meant that you had only nine players defending because he couldn't defend and Messi just doesn't defend. So that would make us, that used to make us uh, much more weak defensively. But also from an attacking perspective, if if Ansu Fati was called out by Messi on this occasion for for not passing the ball, he would have been called out twice by two different players, one of them being Suarez, because they had those little clicks going up front. So the fact that there is freedom, there is you know, that hierarchy has disappeared a little bit, the fact that Messi is more isolated, more by himself, is actually good for all of us. And even though Messi may not always understand it himself, he it is better for him as well. Because I was watching the game against Sevilla and at some point I actually not forget, but Messi hadn't touched the ball for so long that I didn't quite realise he was still there. And to be honest, neither probably did the Sevilla defender. So when he did touch the ball, he had more space. He had more opportunity to influence. He he was a little bit more sharp than, than usual with the ball. But obviously, there's still mechanisms to sort out. So he actually gets the ball more often or less often when he controls that, if you know what I mean. So um, I think it's all a positive. And certainly Messi's influence, the Messi dependencia has been a problem. And I think that we're trying to solve it. And I hope that we're in the right way. What I see, I like.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic about that too. I actually against Celta de Vigo was wondering where I had figured I said there's no way that Messi has touched the ball too many times but then I look it up he touched it 74 times or 72 whatever it was which was still the most on the pitch same thing with Sevilla I said the same thing that you did where it looks like Messi isn't touching the ball in this stretch of time and then you look it up and he still had the most touches in the game which means that Messi's touches in the game are happening much more with the flow of the team where I'm not just saying why did that player pass to Messi in that situation is it just so Messi could get on the ball And I think, again, continuing to rectify the issue of not having to have Messi, especially if he's playing that false nine, dropped so, so, so deep. All that said, that is what led to the Coutinho goal was one of the rare occasions where Messi did drop very deep. And I know that Mm -hmm. it was in the first 12 minutes of the game, but he winds up dropping way deep. And then Alba gets that overlapping run that we've seen many, many times, and then Messi feeds him in, and then Navas obviously misplays it, gets it right to Coutinho. That's how the goal happens. But again, that's because Messi's able to pick his spots, and you just it's not that he's going to come back and drop deep to receive every single time, but that's a wrinkle that it's a a weapon. It's something in the quiver and not necessarily the only arrow you have to be able to shoot. So I do agree with that point on Messi. And I would also add to the point about him defending that I think when it was Suarez and Messi, that's the issue with that. Press really doesn't make too much sense. And I have in the match review up on YouTube from Sevilla where there's even a screenshot where Messi is now being much more calculated with the times that he runs. And it actually does seem to be that his his run-ons and his pressing is much more forceful and has much more purpose now because where it was Suarez and Messi up top you really couldn't guarantee that both of them could support one another in any way and in, in oh. truth there really was no game plan about where on the field Barca would wind up turning the opponent over and now clearly as we've been seeing again whether it's Bayern Munich or I think Chelsea runs a similar system to to, to less greater effect than Bayern but with this 4-3-1 that these teams are now playing, one of the main focuses is trying to flood from the center backs out to the either the the wings, getting it up to the wingers, or getting or for the opposition, I mean, or getting into their fullbacks, and then you hit that press. And we saw that's what Barcelona were, especially in the first half, were doing when Messi still had quite a bit of legs. It's when it went out to uh, even though Jesus Navis is really good on the ball, and this is one of the reasons that Sevilla got a 1-1 draw because Jesus Navis had a really really good day at the office and wasn't really turned over too much and and did well. Same thing on the left side where Sevilla were pretty solid at getting it out of the back, but. I was happy with Barca's press, and Messi, in fact, was the one as that false nine who would shade it to the shade it to the flank, and then he would go chase down the right back, and then it was up to De Jong and Busquets to step in, and when they win those 50-50 balls, Barca have turned an opponent over. So I think that's actually a really good—you could see the the makings of this system. And then that brings me all the way back. Remember, I said two parts of this. Part two is that Coleman looking at the match against Sevilla, again, it was early part, third season—third match of the season— He has his deadline because coming back from the international break in one week, you have El Clasico and you have Juventus in the Champions League. So all this whole idea about plan B or what to do, he has got to get his plan A firing on enough cylinders to take on that week. And I think in the meantime, and I know all these players are away for international duty, but in the meantime, in basically this time in training that we didn't see, even though you're playing every three days, so how much can you get done? But my, my point persists that... Coming back from that international break, he basically has got to have a plan B in his back pocket, but he needed this plan A to be working when he had so many new faces, so many fresh faces, getting to know Messi, because as we know, playing with Messi is not easy. It takes some time, and it does take a little bit of chemistry. So what I've been seeing was, and I we have a question as I transition here about the right wing, basically. Uh, Tara Shook asked about incorporating Trincao, because what we did see was Trincao and Pedri, they have been coming on in the 70th minute, but... Trincao and Messi have not necessarily been on the same page I think if they had played together even two months from now you would have been seeing a even better Trincao I think he's again shown individual bright signs especially his even his ability to pass even his ability to cut inside and combine with teammates The the tools are there, the foundation is there. Now he just has to get used to playing with a a player that opponents and defenders have not figured out in almost 20 years. So it does going to take a 20-year-old new player at Barcelona to figure out where Messi is going to be, where he needs it to feed, and where you need to be after you've given him the ball. Things happen so, so quickly in his mind and on the field. It's going to take a little bit of time. So I am in no way worried about Trincao. The one player, though, as we're pivoting and continuing that right wing we're going to talk Dembele in a second, Frances So I asked you not to really mention Dembele here, but we got to talk Griezmann because when you talk about the issues of Barcelona and the struggles of Barcelona, I think it, at the moment, we thought Coutinho was going to be a part of this, but he is not. He's been really good, arguably the man of the match all three matches, and he's the one who got the goal, but Griezmann's been the worry.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that I want to start with the positive, which you also mentioned. I think that um, when Kuman came on, he really... You know, one of his early promises, he didn't say it to the media, obviously, but, you know, reports all over the Catalan media say that this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to get Dembélé back to life. He wanted to get Coutinho back to life. And he wanted to make Griezmann a a key protagonist. I think that he's uh, pretty much succeeding with Coutinho. Um, I have been very impressed with what he's added. I don't want to say this is because he was a Bayern Munich, but this is because he was a Bayern Munich, to be honest. Uh, The winning mentality... And also the, the, the degree of training and concentration and, and a different a different way to go about things, you know, a, diff, a more ambitious, a, a more determined, a different approach. And I think that's done him a world of good. Um, him coming back to Barca, I did not think he was going to be a starter, but with the confidence of the manager. And it's what Kuman himself said, he's playing in his preferred position, really, and uh, he's doing very, very, very well. I don't see him losing that position at all. Obviously, this is the position I'm talking about. He's an a, a attacking midfielder behind the number nine, which seems to be Messi at the moment. And given the no non-signature of Lautaro or even the Bayern or anyone like that, it is likely that Messi will stay as a, as a number nine. So Coutinho will most certainly keep that position. And then obviously, we need to talk Griezmann, as you said. Um, this is someone who we've been waiting for for a long, long time. We say the same thing every week. I just feel like a broken record. This is someone who, you know, from a defensive perspective does what he needs to do. I think he's one of these players that every manager wants, to be honest, because he does exactly what he needs to do. Um, I think his runs were good again against Sevilla the Cam No, and I don't think he does much wrong. But obviously, when you've got Barca playing with 4-2 at the back, so six players really are not in the attacking picture unless it's... Sergio Roberto zooming forward, which he didn't do too much um, against Sevilla, to be honest, or Jordi Alba, who obviously is injured now. Um, Let's see what Sergio Des can can offer there. But no, you've got four attacking players that have to be excellent, really, for, for this system to work. The association in terms of being closer to each other, because there's a lesser number up front, then it's going to be more difficult. But then again, if you've got someone who can run into space and Obviously, Ansu Fati is the, the the key example of that. But even Coutinho himself, he's been very good when he's conducting the ball. And obviously, Messi, we already know about. Um, but obviously, Messi, Messi, as a false nine, drops back into the center much more, which is when Coutinho jumps into the striking position, or Ansufati can rotate, etc. But it looks like the four up front are um, sort of missing the influence from the right and uh, Griezmann is just not not doing what he needs to do. So is it the right thing for Koeman to trust Griezmann? I would say yes, it is because of the fact that he's the second most expensive signing in our history. He's not that far off from being as effective as he needs to be. He just needs to be a little bit better in front of goal and, and just understand his new position. And to be honest, I say new position. I mean, he's played there in several of his previous teams Real Sociedad for example even Atletico at times he played there and certainly for France he's no strangers to playing on the wings so he needs to figure it out I am confident that he will but then again I've been saying this for the last year and a half so I think more than confident now is I hope that he does uh, because obviously if he doesn't you got Trincao already trying to knock the door right open um, and not just sort of with words but actually with actions and with his performance on the pitch when he comes on and uh, now that Dembélé has not gone to United or anyone like that and he's staying with us I think that Usmane Dembélé for the same reason that Griezmann should be getting playing time should be getting playing time himself and what Dembélé can bring is something completely different from what Griezmann can do. Dembélé is more anarchic, he's more Able to zoom forward, he's obviously more speedy. He's less, um, in my in my experience, in my opinion, and obviously the sample size we've got from Nembélé in three years is is tiny, especially at Barça. Obviously, um, I think that on the ball he's not as effective, but what he brings when he can actually break defenses is more than when Griezmann is is offering. So, long story cut short, Griezmann's position in the starting eleven is in jeopardy, and uh, he needs to get his act together if he wants to keep it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the. Not the argument for Griezmann, but I think it's a little bit of both of those parts have to be right, where Griezmann has got to be better, and part of this is on Griezmann, and then the other part, I think, is just the system and the way that Barca is currently constructed. Again, as I've mentioned many times, I'm going to fit Suzyno Dest into this point in a second, that so far, the left side of the field for Coleman with Fati and Alba starting has been where the attacks come through, or the middle. And then the right side with Roberto and Griezmann is used much more stay at home, much more defensive, much more keep the balance of the squad on the field, and the the numbers in attack and defense equal. So I was looking at against Sevilla, by the 40th minute, you had five attacks down the left, seven attacks through the middle, and zero attacks down the right. Again, that's Mm the 40th minute against Sevilla. And then you flip ahead to about, I think it was 75, 80, 80 minutes through for that second half, six times down the left. 12 times in the middle and 7 times down the right. This is after Trinkau had come on the field, Griezmann had gone to the bench. So that just tells you how that really did become much more balanced and much more uh, much more flipped. So again, all that's to say that the way that this team starts they do want to put an overload on the left side, and that's why I, I mentioned on uh, we have a lot of content coming. Let's put it that way. My voice is being in about a lot of different places, so keep it, uh, keep looking at this feed. You're going to see a bunch of different stuff. But I went and I was talking somewhere else about Sugino Des and his debut and what his debut, you heard a lot of things about him being on the left side, because we know he's a right back, that's where he's most comfortable, but not only has he played at left back for, again, the Mes national team, but the way Coleman has Barcelona constructed, it does make sense with how comfortable he is on the left side as well, for him to actually play that in that position for Alba, because that is the side of the field that has the most emphasis about getting forward and overlapping, and Barca is constructed at the moment to shade to that side, where we see that De Young is able to add some influence onto that left side. Coutinho, as I mentioned, also shades to the left and comes to the in the, the middle. While Busquets does leave Griezmann and Roberto more of an island, where Busquets takes up much more of a central defensive location. And even offensively, Busquets, I think he had actually a really, really good game against Sevilla when and it actually took a second viewing for me to understand how good Busquets actually was against Sevilla. Because, as you mentioned, I saw in the second half, he does look fatigued. He shouldn't be going 90. But the first 55, 60 minutes of Busquets' performance was really good. But again, the position he's taking up Mm -hmm. is much more central than De Young's. De Young, a lot of times, will even receive the ball closer, somewhere between the middle of the field and the left flank. And again, there's looking for an overload on that left wing. And so Griezmann on that right, he has a defensive job to do, where, as we mentioned, Trincao and Dembele, the way that this squad is currently constructed... They do much better and they serve much more of a better role coming off the bench and creating that imbalance. But as we said, all of that is like this almost a system hey, Griezmann, here's why you're starting. But he absolutely has to be more productive. He absolutely has to do something else. And my hope is that they start to get him, they start to hit him on some of those runs that he's trying to make behind the defense. But one, his teammates are going to have to start making those passes and and getting him in behind where he's trying to run in behind the defense. But two, yeah, he absolutely has to be more influential. Uh, Just uh, maybe it's going to be uncomfortable. And maybe, I mean, I know Barca with El Clasico and Champions League on the horizon don't really have time to experiment. But Griezmann has got to shake it up just a little bit. And maybe even Coleman has got to do something drastic. And I I could even see, like, I, I mean, I know it's not going to be Dembele because... He's just coming back, I guess, into Coleman. They thought he was going to be transferred out, maybe, and Coleman said he wants to get the best of him. So, once again, Coleman has not lied to us yet. Every time he says something, and he actually has kept his word so far, for better or worse. We were upset about Ricky Pooge, but he was being honest. We were upset about Dembele, but he's being honest. So, Coleman has said it, and so if Coleman decides to sit Griezmann and replace him with, I'd say, Trinkau in the starting lineup and still bring Dembele to unbalance the game in the second half, but if Coleman does decide to do that... Well, maybe that's another thing he has to do to try to motivate Griezmann. Because I, it's, I don't again. I don't think it's ever about motivation or care for him. But it's about having him maybe see the game a little bit differently and see this is what you need to do. This is what we need from you. You're doing a great job keeping a balance in the team defensively, but offensively, as you mentioned, Frances, because of that double pivot, so you don't really have De Young or brusquets You know they're not going to be making those runs into the box. We saw. An own goal this season because Busquets made that one yearly run he makes into the box but that is not an expected often thing you're going to see from Busquets so yeah worrisome signs for for Griezmann you kind of alluded to it, but Dirk does want to follow up what do you think Dembélé's role with Barca is going to be this season and what can we take away from the entire Dembélé transfer saga
2: well I do see him as a super sub um, unless you know he gets injured again in which case he won't be taking any part uh, hopefully that won't happen um, but you know he continues to come in as a as a substitute around the 65th, 70th minute mark, and he can make an impact. Then he could potentially become a starter. But the thing is, I'm not too confident that that, that will happen. Or let's just say it in a different way. I'm less confident today of Mbappe becoming a starter even if fit than I was three months ago. And the key difference is that Ansu has um, is a starter. Ansu Fati is a starter. He's 17. He may be 97. It doesn't matter. It's about not about his age. It's about the productivity, about the the progress, about the incisiveness moving forward. And not just that, also the intelligence when he's got the ball, the fact that he makes very little mistakes, the fact that he's fresh, the fact that he doesn't respect the pass the ball to Messi all the time hierarchy. And because of all of those reasons, Ansu has to be a starter. And I think that out of everyone else in the squad, the one that's the most similar to Ansu is probably Dembele himself. Um, and he's not, he's not going to be ahead of Ansu this season, especially if, uh, if a youngster, 17 year old continues to improve. Um, I think that having both Ansu Fati and Dembele in the starting level makes, gives it a, a larger imbalance. Um, I think that if you had a, an Avidal, for example, as a left back or, or a, <laughs> I'm, going to go, I'm going really far back here but someone like Ulague for example in the right back, <laughs> he was not a star but he was a more defensive minded um, he could push forward if needed not very well obviously um, but he could do that defensive um, work and, and you sort of knew that it doesn't matter what happens in front of him, the, the, their backs will always be covered because Ulague and even Abidal sometimes didn't really go up that well or that often um, but we don't have that you know, because obviously you sell Semedo who's gone. Sergio Roberto is a reconverted midfielder still. I mean, the guy's 28 now and he's been playing there for three seasons, but, you know, he's not a right-back, really, uh, and certainly not a defensive one either. Um, Jordi Alba, obviously injured now, but, again, you're not going to ask Jordi Alba to defend because that's not really what he is. He's a a forward. I mean, the whole of Jordi Alba's juveniles and cadetes and infantil B. while he was growing up he was a center forward then a winger and then ultimately became a left back so there are no really any left backs of a full backs, or right backs you know it doesn't matter which position or which side that can actually defend so i think having two i'm going to generalize a lot here but crazy moving forward zooming 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 wingers that's not going to help us so i really don't see that Ansu and Dembele have got a room in Barca from the beginning of the match, both of them together. Maybe when there's 20 minutes left and we're losing, that could be a possibility. But other than that, I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. The team has got to keep some kind of the balance because as we've been mentioning about the transfers, that... They didn't really uh, fix that defense too much, and I think the project in the middle with Busquets and DeYoung and Pjanic and that double pivot, I think that's also still a work in progress. As I've mentioned, I, I try to spend some of the match and on a little bit of second viewing. I attempt to Watch De Young and Busquets. Then Pianic, we haven't seen too much of him yet, obviously. Busquets being the starter, or De Young for that matter, being the starter all three times, where if you had taken off Busquets or De Young for performance against Sevilla, it easily would have been De Jong. Uh, I had even said and criticized him, where against Celta de Vigo, he was awesome. I had 10 of 10, awesome against Celta de Vigo, always in the right spots, always where he needed to be, offensively, defensively couldn't put a foot wrong, not a pass wrong. Busquets was, uh, and then Sevilla was completely flipped where De Young, I mean, he just almost completely lost against Sevilla. Uh, He was getting bossed by, uh, that Sevilla's number four that we should be looking, or their number 10 rather now that we should be looking at uh, Rakitic, I think his name is. So De Young wound up losing that matchup to Rakitic in the middle of the field, but Busquets was good enough to to make up for that. So De Young, we have seen him at very hot. We've seen him at very cold already this season. And I know that he's supposed to be used to that double pivot. That's where Coleman has him working. Uh, And we're going to have to see him put consistent performances together. Because even going back to where he really was at his best there in Ajax, yes, Ajax would, he'd be really, he wound up that season being really good in the important matches of the year. That's why he cost as much as he did. But in the Eredivisie, De Young and that season with Ajax, they did wind up losing a few points here and there. And there would be, we've seen with DeLict at Juventus, where both the Young and DeLict, they would have some stinkers, and because they were playing against mid-table Air Divisi teams, national or international media didn't really pay attention. But those things did happen, and, and I did see those happen. So I would like to see more consistency from De Young to make sure this team continues to have their balance. But as I said, we're going to move on because I do agree with the Fati and Demele starting together point. It's going to cause some balance and if you want to see especially a team with with speed on their wings, you're just going to see a, a track meet and even though Barca have gotten younger with the likes of PK and again Lingley is not fast, Arahu does change things a bit but you know, he is still very young, so well I think as Eric kinda asked, how would you evaluate the young players as far as Pedri, Tinkao, and Arajo? Well, I think they've all looked very, very promising and they've all had moments like Pedri against Sevilla where they still look very young. And then is there an opportunity for Puj and Elena? Well, that's remained to be seen. We're gonna talk about that by talking about another transfer I think in a second, named Mateus Fernandez. Because now we have switched and we are now talking about transfers Frances to end this show now yay (laughs) i know i know if you didn't want Frances and i to complain i think now would be the time to put us on double speed because we're going to get a few complaints out but i think it's funny Frances. there's so much for us to actually be uh negative nellies about that you and i could go back and forth and actually complain about different things but i think through the lens that we want to start this is a question from Steven. interesting question here he does say he wishes that we would Speak a little bit more about the ins and outs of the transfer negotiations, that being the selling club, the play, the player, the agent, the buying club, and all that needs to be agreed upon with a transfer fee, wages, agents cut, and Dembele being an interesting example of that because the only party that didn't seem to be interested to that move was the player. Uh, now the point I want to push back real quick, Stephen, about that, and we Dirk was kind of alluding this too. I had mentioned last week about the reports that were coming out from the Catalan media about him being late to practice, and then you wonder why they wanted to sell Dembélé to bring in Tapi. Again, it's it's silly. It's it's this. I I don't know how to say it. It's it's the that top, that nasty part of, of a of an old piece of food that you forgot to throw away in your refrigerator and it gets that mold at the top. I think that is what those silly ploys by potentially the board to use Catalan Media to try to slander a player, to try to let everybody know that, hey, we don't really need this guy here because of his off-field issues when in fact they're just trying to sell him off so that they can bring in a player like a Memphis to buy that might fit their uh, the missing spot at a number nine because you know I'm not going to spend too much time laughing at Martin Brothway but yes, brought, or, or laughing at Barcelona because Martin Brothwaite is their number nine for this season. Again, I think that might be the, it's, I think it's the worst number nine that Bars have had in, I mean, at least, uh, we're talking at least 25 years. Yeah, to, to I don't back. remember
2: anyone, anyone being any worse. Um, I mean, Sonny Anderson, ever. Sonny I mean, Anderson
1: had... was the one that I saw that was the last number nine who was maybe this level, but Brothwaite's not even at that level. Which one, Dan? Sonny Anderson back in the 90s. Yeah,
2: yeah. Sonny Anderson came from Brazil, and he actually scored some goals. Yeah. Um, Martin Bredwaite has unfortunately not scored many at all. Um, I remember Meo Codro in the in 1995-96 the season, I guess. Mm, that's a good one. Um, he was signed from Real Sociedad for 30 million pesetas at the time. And uh, yeah, he was not very good either, but he scored a lot of goals for Real Sociedad and scored some for us. And then moving forward, really, I cannot remember anyone else um, wearing the number nine of, you know, Eto, Suarez, etc., etc., etc. At that level. Someone who does not even start for Barca is not even an afterthought. Uh, we've not really mentioned the podcast at all this season, really, uh, because he's nowhere near the starting level, and they give him the number nine. I, I don't understand. It's just a number. It's just a t-shirt. I get yeah. it. But at Barca, things mean something. So the number nine, the number ten... Even the number four, you know, from the great Guardiola, etc. Numbers mean quite a lot, and to give him number nine, I, I just don't get it. I don't know why they just give it, leave it vacant and see what happens. But hey, it's just a number I know, but for us it means more.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that I, we don't need to keep on the Broadway point with that that forward line. I mean, again, if he's the backup to Messi, Messi always plays 90 minutes. So if Brothwaite's the backup to Messi, that's where he's going to get his minutes on the matches that Messi doesn't play or if Messi picks up a small knock. You might see that. He's not going to be substituted very often. That's just the the way things go with Messi. So yeah, I think that's going to be the role that Brothwaite is going to play. We don't have to think too much about it. So I want to also respond to Steven wrapping it up and say that, you know, I think a lot of times what happens is we understand it when we think about it for more than two minutes that the role that agents play is really negative, And I would love to see if agents didn't get a commission from the club. My hope would be that if FIFA really wanted to change this whole situation and, uh, and kind of get the transfer market under control in a post COVID world, because we did see the way that COVID's effect that COVID did affect this transfer window, not only for the Manchester United and the Barcelona who aren't really good at negotiations, because that's the point we're going to really harp on here. But before that, as far as agents basically price gouging clubs, uh, and I understand that it's in the agents and players best interest to make it a, a bidding war. And I think there is certain limitations to that where if you're a player that's not going to be paid much and might be on a 1.2 million million euro contract, which, yeah, that might seem like a lot to, to us, but 1.2 million over the course of two or three years isn't really a big contract at all for someone who's, who's doing the majority of their work at this part of their life. And then post football, who knows what they're gonna do. And so for a player, yes, it's advantageous try to make a bidding war of a player that's not gonna make much. But for these players that are making 70, 90, or 100 in the, those transfer fees, and then agents are also asking for 30 million commission on top of that then yeah, that's where you have your issues. And I think it really would be in the interest of FIFA to find some kind of way or even the, the leagues themselves. And unfortunately, when one individual league changes something, where we've talked a lot about with transfers as well, where La Liga has the release clause situation. So when those Premier League teams do have money, and COVID did prevent that. So when those Premier League teams do have money, they wind up ransacking these good La Liga sides for their players with using their release clauses and just snatching those players up, and then the Premier League doesn't have the same thing, so you're not going to see the inverse of that. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to just one league per one league, you've got to make sure that you're doing something for everybody. So it's going to be a difficult thing to do, but I would say something has to be done about these agent commissions, especially when the likes of Mini uh, Riola, and I know he is the agent for Ansu Fadi, but Jorge Mendez, that guy is making a killing, and not just with all his Wolverhampton deals, but he's just there's just so much money flowing in uh, for him, and his commissions are just getting larger and larger and larger. Larger. And you're going to get a point where you're going to have a commission for Mendez is going to be worth double the transfer fee for some of his players. And that is going to be a problem, not just for Barcelona and the Ansu Fati thing, but moving forward now. Speaking of moving forward, the two new transfers that happened because, again, deadline day for all the Memphis to Pie stuff and all the Eric Garcia stuff. The only two guys that we saw moved was Rafinha, who was moved for three million or sorry, what was it? It was really technically free when three million of variables. Rafinha, who's now going by Raphael, by the way, to PSG. And then it is Jean-Claire Tadebo, Debo, who is moving for one year on loan, a 2 million euro loan to Benfica with a 20 million purchase option. And before I go and recap some of that stuff, Frances, Rick asked both of us, what do you think Rafinha's Barca career? What career? Like, well, he did make 90 appearances for Barcelona over multiple seasons. He won, a, a, okay. he, he won the treble. Yeah. So, I mean. Okay.
2: So, so did Douglas, to be honest, though. Uh, I don't, I don't want to be too unfair, but Rafinha really hasn't done anything much for Barca at all. He's never really been a starter he's um, been loaned out several times he is i guess a good teammate Uh, he's a good team player Um, he comes from la masia but ultimately i don't see any impact probably being too harsh but i don't really see any impact of anything remarkable that rafinha has done over the last however many seasons he's been with us i do wish him all the best for the future but he's nowhere he's been nowhere near the starting 11 ever he's made some appearances yes um 90 seems like a very high number to me but again that's probably why i don't really recall a game maybe a couple of games in which he unbalanced anything so
1: yeah i mean um, i I actually completely not that i disagree because i can't disagree with that marfina wasn't this great player for barca but it wasn't his performances on the pitch, actually, that were the issue. It was always, his, always, always, always his injuries. Because we actually forget those those important matches and the roles that we that he played. You know, back to the 2013-14 season, he goes out on loan to Celta de Vigo, plays well, comes back to Barcelona, ready for the first team. And he was a squad player for the 14-15 season with the treble. He was still a young player at the time, and he's had his role to play. Then the 16-17 season, on and off with injuries— including ending the season with a uh, MCL injury, but he did start. And this is one of those moments where he starts on the right wing for that six one comeback against PSG in the champions league, which he does play a role in that game. But then 2015, 16, sorry, the season I missed in the middle there, he had that ACL injury, his first ACL injury. And then you look at 2017, 18, he has an MCL injury that keeps him out until January. Then he goes to Inter Milan in the spring where he was actually healthy and plays. Then he comes back. You think he's going to be a part of the team, but he winds up then coming off that to uh, another successful season at Celta, but then an ACL injury in 2018-19, but he did for Barca in that, in the meantime of all that, he did start on the right wing in that 5-1 win over Real Madrid in 2018, where Luis Suarez has the hat-trick, so he does wind up playing and featuring and having a big role in that very memorable match, so when it's all said and done... He makes 63 appearances for two loans for Celta de Vigo, only 17 appearances for Inter Milan in that half a season. Then we mentioned 90 appearances for Barca, but over the course of eight years, I tell you that he wound up only scoring 12 goals with eight assists. Then, yeah, those numbers actually make a lot more sense of what we remember of, of Rafinha, but you know, I would argue that he is just more of talent that was unfulfilled because of injuries, than he was actually a player. I always thought he really, in the, in the realm of Carlos Alenia, which is, whose Barca career and Barca story is yet to be written, but to me, he always felt like he was a squad player who just could not put enough games together healthy to actually have an impact for Barca. And it wound up making more sense to loan him out at times to just help him get his fitness back. But the way this all ends, where he winds up leaving basically on a free with a few variables for PSG to take him over, I think it is a sad end and the end of his Barca career kind of indicates that you and I are both right where he has the quality to play for another big club like a PSG but he's never been healthy long enough for Barca to actually make any money about him so I could actually say that you and I can agree to the point that he should have been worth something he could be a top player but the injuries have always derailed him and you know I I agree to to a point that I don't remember a single big goal that he scored so I I think I'll give you a little bit of that
2: no no ultimately and this is newsflash to a lot of people, but ultimately not every player that comes from La Masia can play for Barca. You know, there's a lot of players, There are hundreds, of, not thousands possibly, but there are hundreds of players that uh, join Barca through the youth systems every single year. There are, another, there are other hundreds of players who just get released every single year. Um, there are some that make it to Barca B, very, 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 very few. And out of those, there is an incredibly small minority who make it to the first team. And not every player is always going to start. You know, like I remember people going crazy when Dennis Suarez, who was not a La Masia player, uh, but, you know, a player that people really loved at the time. Oh, Dennis Suarez is not playing, Denis Suarez is not playing. Well, really, he's starting not all the time for Celta at the moment. You know, there are people going crazy. They, they, they seem to be getting sort of ofuscados. Of, of they seem to be obsessed with this player, this young player that has to play and he's incredible. And the manager is an absolute, um, the manager is an absolute waste of space because he doesn't play this player. And then they go somewhere else and they don't really start. I mean, Rafinha did play well for Celta last season. So he could have been valid for, for Barca this season. But then if you got someone like Alanya or even Ricky Butch, who's not really getting a sniff of any minutes, how is Rafinha ever going to play? Yeah, you I agree know? And, that. And, and and that. And that... And that is the reality of it. Barca is not a charity, even though the transfer business that we seem to be doing lately does class as a charity because we're just giving players away. But not every single player that uh, can lace their boots can play for Barca. And unfortunately, there are some of them that, despite being in or around the first team for, obviously in Rafinha's case, seven or eight years now, they haven't really had any major impact. And this is just the way of life. I mean, I would love to play for Barca myself, but I'm not good enough for it, so... That's, that's what it is. I mean, life is hard, and Barca are not a charity. They're a football team that is expected to win a treble every year. So not everyone can handle that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're running out of time, so I want to hit the Tadebo point real quick. I've been very complimentary of Tadebo. I think he is a promising young player, but I actually do want to zag a little bit for people that have heard me do nothing but praise Tadebo. He has only played, when we look at this one-year loan to Benfica, he has only played 25 total first-team matches in his entire career yes he's still only 20 years old but still the last now year and a half of his career he had those 90 minutes against Inter Milan a 2-1 win for Barca last year but that was the match we talk about and we don't really talk about much else because he only made 10 appearances for Toulouse before he wound up freezing out the rest of his contract to move to Barca where he made five total appearances for Barca and 10 appearances for Schalke then on loan last season He has good speed. He makes some mistakes with positioning and playing from the back as any young center back does, but the physical tools are there and his passing is above average for his age. But you look at Tadebo and this time last year, it was Tadebo as the future center back at Barcelona. He was a can't miss prospect and Araujo was playing with Barca B and still figuring out, but not getting reps at this point in a career is rough. Part of that is on the player and his agent. And that's actually probably the, and this is where I I do want to actually say that part of this is on Tadebo a little bit, where we all blame the managers and the board for wanting to make a profit off to But even last season before all of this, yes, he was willing to go on loan to Schalke, but when he originally came to Barca, he didn't go with the B team. He joined the first team right away as a 19 year old, just 19. He had just turned 19 center back from Toulouse, who really didn't have much first team experience. And he winds up joining Barca's first team instead of the B team. So I wonder if the player and the agent and his demands had something to do with that. And that actually winds up hurting his progress because at 20 years old, you have to be playing. And so him going to Benfica, I mean, there are roses and thorns to it where I'm glad it's a loan move because I think that he still has the potential if he can fulfill it to wind up being a player for Barca. But the 20 million euro number that Barca had to settle with Benfica is confusing to me because that is a perfect number where if he succeeds, Benfica after, we'll say after COVID or in January or sorry, next summer, they might have been able to recoup enough to pay 20 million euros if he was good enough. And they also look at some of the moves they've made where they sell DS to Man City. So they do have a, a bit of funds themselves. But then $20 million is also no immediate financial relief. So for the board, that number just doesn't make sense. Where if he succeeds, he's gone. And if he doesn't do well enough, then you still have to wind up doing something with him because he wasn't even worth 20 million to one of the European sides in Benfica that may be able to afford that. So it winds up being a, just a puzzling number that they land on, and it's a number that befits Benfica. It almost seems like parts were forcing him to take the one million, that one million euro loan. That one million was so, so, so important for a club that as we're going to wrap this up here now, the show, I mean that a club that took at 97 million euro losses. And I think that is where we say, Frances, at this point, how do you grade the transfer market? I want a, a grade. Mike Crimmins, one of our main patrons, thanks so much to Mike always. He gave it a C. He also mentions that it would be an F if we actually consider the Messi saga, plus Dembele, I mean uh, the Dembele stuff and then Memphis to buy and all the PR involved with with Barcelona. But if you don't count any of that and you actually just count the business, which if you want to hear, I, I really broke down all the different things last week, but He gave it a C for that reason. So, Frances, I ask you, what is your grade for the transfer market?
2: All right, let's break it down. It's not an A, clearly. It's not a B, either. Um, Then it's between a C and a D. Um, We need a—and it's quite clear, it's not just me saying. Ronald Koeman, who is a manager, says, and has said it repeatedly, that we need a striker. We did not get a striker, and Martin Braithwaite is not a number nine. No Lautaro Martinez— uh, no, nobody else. I know Kuma wanted Memphis Depay. I know that a lot of people are not a fan of his. Um, I'm happy that you know if if you're going to have funds in a way wasted into someone that the next president is not going to be, it's not it's not going to be one of his choices. Then I'd rather not waste the money on somebody that could potentially be going down the drain in six months or seven months. Mm-hmm. However many months we have to wait for the next um, the next presidential board to take over. So that is not great, but obviously not terrible. Um, we needed to rejuvenate the squad. Luis Suárez is gone. Rakitic is gone. Arturo Vidal are gone. I think that is good for the club. That is good for the dressing room. Um, and I think that the only, and it's quite a big, you know, a big point to make here, but the worst point of all that is that they pretty much all went for free. There's not much profit coming back. But then again, at the age that they are, given the ability that this board has to negotiate either sales or or new signings which is um, embarrassing really Uh, i wasn't expecting any more than that so just getting rid of them i think given the board that we have and it's all within the context that we are in obviously there's a coronavirus pandemic Um, for example florentino perez has spent the least amount of money in 16 seasons at madrid this season so you have to put things into perspective as well I don't think it's, it's terrible news because it doesn't sort of give the next board coming in um, like like an incredible amount of debt to work with or, or added debt because obviously there's already a lot of debt which is, i believe is 97 million that they're going to leave behind so that's you know there's there's no more than that 97 if, you, if that makes sense because they didn't really sign that many people um, Kuman said he wanted Eddie Garcia and then Eddie Garcia hasn't come to be honest i'm secretly happy about that one because I think that you know we need to start being a bit more clever with transfers. If people really, really want to come back, in, in García's case because he was one of ours, then he can do that for free. Um, apparently, Barca offered, offered up to €20 million Euros yesterday just before the, the window closed. I think that's nonsensical.
1: Listen, I think you're right. But the, the only pushback I have a little bit is that then why, if, if, if Barca and Man City were two or €3 million Euros, apart because I agree with your point that if he wanted to come for free then he can sign a pre-contract in January it's only two months away he just kind of has to wait it out and he'll be a Barcelona player before too long but then why did Barcelona and we know that it's about the Brazilian commission fees we know that but Mateus Fernandez, who is on the depth chart behind Pujan and Alenia who are barely going to play either and he's behind them on the depth chart so you have Mateus Fernandez, who Real Valladolid barely wanted last year for seven million plus three million in variables right? And that just tells you yeah. everything you need to know about this board. There's obviously no transparency, but you're telling me that Man City and Barcelona, two of the biggest clubs in the world, two of the richest clubs, well, Man City's way, way richer. And Man City also had negotiating power because they don't need 20 million. Obviously, they, they own a country, so they they, don't, they can just they don't have to accept that money or not. They can just say, "Now nah, we want to keep him until and just whatever you. But if Barca were really two or three million euro away and you're talking about the Mateus Fernandez deal for seven million euros, well, then that scratch your head. Because for that reason, Garcia probably should have been at Barca. Well, I, and I think you're correct in saying that he didn't have to be. And I think my frustration with this transfer window too is that the because of those kind of Mateus Fernandez deal and I, again, we've heard me yammer on about the Pianic for Arter thing. And yes, I'm very happy about that Shugino Dest. I mean, that was a complete necessity to bring in some kind of fullback because with Komen not trusting Junior Furpo and then uh, Miranda being sent out on loan, Sergino so Des, I think, is now the backup right back and left back. He's just the backup fullback mm-hmm. at FC Barcelona. So obviously that wound up being an essential position of need. And I do worry with Garcia not coming and then Tadebo being shipped out, just as not in terms of talent, but just for numbers. That now if PK goes down for a long-term injury, you have Lingle and and Arajo, and then Samuel Umtiti, who's 8 million. Euro salary that Barça weren't able to move. So that is a knock, I think, on Barça's transfer business. They weren't able to move him TT and his wages. So now he has is going to be expected to be that fourth center back in this position that you're gonna need. And so I have people asking me about about Ramos Mingo from Barca B, but he's a player that doesn't even have a low number shirt at for Barca B. He's a player that there's rumors that when he came over from Boca Juniors that he was called up to first team training. Or he was called up to the bench, rather, just because of contract negotiations. But he also, all of last mm-hmm. year, couldn't get his paperwork finalized. So to answer anyone's question about what do I think of him, I have no idea. I've seen the same training pictures you have. He is not really feasible for Barca be. not only maybe because of talent, sure, but it probably just because if he wasn't registered properly and we have to see what he's going to be. He's still really young, but yeah, who knows? So if he's the fifth center back, I mean, we have no idea. So to me, I was actually wound up looking about if I'm trying to give Barca a better grade for this transfer window, I look at their Barca B or some of the ones around the edges that I can be happy about where I said, I mean, for all the big transfers, yes, the transfers out made sense and I like Desk coming in and Fernandez is puzzling, but then I look at the loans from Manchu to Girona and Juan Miranda to go back home to Real Betis, which he should have done last year instead of doing that disaster thing at Schalke. So Barca wound up wasting a whole year of development for him. But now he finally does get to go to Real Betis and they don't they don't have an option to buy him. So if he does really, really well, then Barca wind up getting a, a left back that they can even sell on or incorporate into the team next year. So I was happy with the Montu and Miranda loans. But if those are the things that I say, oh, those are positive signs, well, that tells you that the lack of ingenuity in the first team and the issues that they had there because Trincao and Pedri were winter deals. So good job then. I give the plaudits to the board and scouting for Trincao and Pedri in the winter. But now since COVID, I mean, Barcelona they lost their negotiation ability and yeah as I said I'm B i am be—I say that the Barca B deals with Gustavo Mai who I I had early going as preseason for Barca B but I looked like I might be wrong on him but still he was a lot of money for a Brazilian 19-year-old you're taking a chance on they brought in an 18-year-old center back Musa Indaye from the Aspire Academy in Qatar and then they filled in Barca B did where they said I need a striker and a right back and I know it sounds crazy for Barca B but they brought in a 22-year-old Andres Solano from Atletico Madrid B and then they, as, as a right back, because I we have been talking about Barca didn't even have a right back. And then Joaquim Zabaios was a 23-year-old striker from Girona that was also brought in for the striker position. Because once Alvaro and Alejandro Marquez, I know people don't care too much about the Barca B, but that's why we're an hour in, I'm talking about it. But those were players that were brought in just to fill those needs. And then everyone else was kind of shipped out. And then Barca B's best players this year are going to be the U19s. So even, even Ludo Ruiz. Again, talking about transfers that don't make sense, He's, he was bought from the Netherlands for $3 million plus variables. And the minute he played for Barca B, I said, this guy is third division quality at the moment. So now he winds up going out on a loan to Ozenbruck in the second or in the Bundesliga or the two Bundesliga. But again, he came for an amount of number that makes it just not such a great transfer. So when you talk about those transfers around the edges that could be different for 2 to 5000000 million, we'll look at all the different Transfers that were made that just didn't make sense. That you go, Barca, why did you spend a million here? Or uh, we always joke about the Prince Boatang or the Murillo loans. And those are over the five years, those are just drastic and desperate moves that this board has made over and over and over again. And COVID was the thing that in a lot of different ways in the world, a lot of injustices, a lot of issues with the world that are much bigger than Barca and and football, but COVID has wound up being that thing for all of us to show, hey, these are what your problems were that you weren't paying attention to. And now COVID has let everybody know, the whole, all the masses, everybody now knows, hey, these were the problems that were happening and COVID has exposed that.
2: Yeah, um, to be honest, Dan, um, I am beyond annoyed with the board and I'm getting to a point that everything that they do and this, this transfer window, especially the last day, which was absolutely nonsensical, but like I'm over it. Like I, 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 I am angry with them and I am disappointed by the way they're running the club. But because I know that it's finishing soon, I'm just counting the seconds and I'm trying to maybe it's a defense mechanism I'm not getting too emotionally involved with all the nonsensical pointless moves and you know, Monchu being loaned out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not really getting too emotionally involved because I know they're on the way out. But honestly, it is really hard to pass them. So it's between, for me, it's between a D and a C minus. And the only reason why I would give a C, not a D, is because of Pedri and Trincao, which, as you said, they're not really uh, recent signings either. But I just want them gone now. Uh, I think everyone is over it. I think Bartomeu should have resigned and we should have new blood in, you know, institutional level right now, but obviously that's, he has different ideas. Um, your guess is as good as mine as to why he didn't go. Um, I'm obviously very suspicious that it's because of his own pocket, but, you know, we don't have any evidence of that, so we're not going to be able to say that in the podcast, but you know, counting the seconds, let's hope the Muzios and Sula goes forward, that all the numbers are counted as they should be, do and done, and then the club can take things forward and see see what happens after, but yeah, another another chapter in Bartomeo's five year tenure that we will remember not necessarily for the short term but unfortunately the long term moving forward.
1: I I am going to actually give the club a C for this uh transfer window. Yeah, I mean, it meant a lot to me to see an American now playing for FC Barcelona. and Conrad Del Puente may be the second one, but yeah, it, it, that, that means a lot, and I think Desk is going to be a really good player for the future. I think he's a future starting eleven player at Barcelona, and that may not be too far away depending on Alba and Roberto, so no compliments to them so much, but again, I think not that even Des gives them the C, but I think... They did move off Luis Suarez and Vidal and Rakitic. And I know they didn't get much back for him, but they did do that. And I think the squad that Barca has right now is able to compete across all competitions. It's gonna. It, I know people keep saying it's a lost season, but as far as what they're doing on the field and Komen in charge, he's a strong personality. And Barca on the field might continue to surprise this year. So I think the board didn't harpoon mm-hmm. Komen's chances of winning some titles uh, the way they could have. And they did take a 97 million euro loss. So I do give them a C just because, again, they made a few moves around the edges and they were able to change the squad a bit, get a lot younger. So they did actually hit the main focus that they were meant to do. But they made so many other puzzling moves that, kind of make you scratch your head and go uh you're not really too great at your job so we are going to see if they continue to have their jobs because again the next time you hear from us we're actually going to be uh, there's going to be a second show due out later this week with some special guests not necessarily Frances. i you're you're only here one time this week but we appreciate your time so we're going to get uh some other friends on the second show this week and then again we've got plenty of content but things are changing still with the by the time of recording there's still only uh there's less than a thousand signatures to verify to hit the threshold to go on to the next part where then they're in there then is a referendum where you have to have two-thirds of that voting body uh, then voting him out again it's still difficult because it's at at time of recording it seems to be that a fraction has to be in person or Things are still being quiet because you have to kind of get to that next phase before uh, it's even advantageous politically for the group that collected those signatures to release information to the general public about what comes next. You have to get to that point first. So it seems like you're going to be hearing that that that, that by the, even by the time this hits your ear. So the final thing I want to say before we wrap up is also a shout out to the Barca femini for winning the first Al Clasico in their history. It was not close. It was a four nothing drudging as expected. Uh, real Madrid are in their infancy. They were formerly CD Tacón. So the femini just they are an established team and they took over. Uh, and as I want to remind everyone, the real Feminine rivalry is Barca versus Atletico Madrid. That is the one that matters. That's the one that contests the league. That is the one that both make farthest in Champions League. So, until further notice, Real Madrid actually has to earn the right to be called El Clasico in the feminine version. It's also weird that they are playing in the semifinals of the Copa del Reina. Done. Yeah.
2: Done. Shall we call it El Plastico?
1: I think you could call it El Clásico at this point. Yep. <laughs> it is, yeah, because there's not much to that, the Real Madrid side. But there is a match against Sevilla in the semifinals of the Copa de la Reina. That is on Thursday, which is finishing up last season. So again, I my heart does go out to the Femini as well because they've got a weird season where they've got to play their current season and then they play last season again. So that's unfortunate, but it could be a great week if they're able to move on from the semifinals of the Copa de la Reina to the final and they wind up winning El Clásico. So that's something. Shout out to the Femini as we end. This. And I also want to shout out all of you who stuck around to one of our longest podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton d 13 for me. On Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group. That's where we got these questions from. On Patreon, you help us out making these shows like Mike Crimmins does. And that is at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. And you know, we're on YouTube. That's where I have the match reviews and special video content as well. Check us out there. Hit that subscription button. But thanks so much for listening here to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca.
2: Forza.